What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here as my co-host. Sadly, Uriah is not here with us today. Tonight, Uriah is our producer for those new to the show. And this is not the podcast for Uriah to be missing, right, Chris? Yeah, it's a real shame. Uriah is probably the biggest Matisse Thibault fan we know, and we're coming to you right after the Pacers game Sunday night, probably Thibault's biggest game of the season. It's a shame. We'll miss him, but uh, I guess the show must go on. The show has to go on. But before we get into that, Chris, uh, you know, half of our uh, the East Coast is getting hit with a bad snowstorm. Are you part of that? Are you staying nice and semi-warm in Athens, Georgia? You're in Athens, right? Um, I'm I'm not in Athens right now, but I'm in Athens during the week, uh, most weeks at this point. But we are we're nice and cozy down down here at I think we're at 43 degrees right now in Georgia. So it's not quite a snowstorm, but I, I know you got snowed in. <laughs> mm, about at least three. I'm gonna say it has to be at least five inches. At mm. least five. It might have been three earlier in the day, but I think it got up to five before the snow stopped. When I went outside, it probably was up to my ankle, but I would say it's probably past my ankle at this point, just looking outside. But enough about snow. We got to talk about this, the ga- the big takeaways from this last week's game. So, Chris, go ahead take it away. All right. We're going to start with just some game takeaways, as you said. We'll start with the Pistons game from January 25th. That was a loss for Philly, 119-104 on the losing end of that one. Notably a game in which Joel Embiid did not play until tonight. With Indiana, those have have tended to go the other way. Uh, What were your main takeaways from that game, Lucas? Uh, My main takeaway is that one needed, Tyrese Maxey can score buckets for the Sixers. He's a walking bucket even as a rookie, though he definitely has some limitations offensively. It doesn't seem to stop the guy. Because he came, he came away as the second leading scorer with 17 points in that game. We could talk about how badly the Sixers looked without Joel, and I'm sure you will. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Tyrese Maxey, who can still put up numbers even in a more limited role now that everybody's at, back healthy. Yeah, you mentioned the Joel thing. I mean, after this game, Philly was 0-4 without beat on the season. Uh, we'll get to the Pacers game. Obviously, it's 1-4 and now, but the first three quarters of that indie game were pretty rough. If it weren't for a pretty monumental collapse on the Pacers' part, it would have been 0-5. It's clear the Sixers are still really struggling to find an identity on offense when Embiid doesn't play. Part of that, obviously, is that this roster is pretty much tailored to Embiid's skill set, which... Uh, hasn't always been the case in the past, but, you know, with guys like Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, who we're going to talk about as potential all-stars, 
you got to do better when Embiid sits. Like, this team shouldn't be as bad as they have been traditionally without Embiid. Mm-hmm. Dwight Howard, Tony Bradley, guys like that have their problems. But the Pistons are not a very good team, and, and just getting run off the floor without Embiid is a pretty bad look. Well, I will also say this. This is the game that we realized, and this probably should have happened a while ago, or to begin the season. Dwight Howard should not be starting anymore. Yes, he can play quality backup minutes, but he's just not at that point in his career where he can play starter minutes. Uh, Tony Bradley clearly outperformed him in that game, and he, we'll talk about the Lakers, uh, the Pacers game as well, but more or less the same. Bradley is... And you know what? Starting Bradley and keeping Dwight in his backup role is a smart move, and it's not the only time that Doc Rivers has done this in his coaching career. I don't know if you remember, but... Um, Back when he was with the Boston Celtics, he had when Kevin Garnett missed a game, he would always have Brian Scalabrini starting Garnett's place versus starting Glenn Big Baby Davis. So it's not a surprise move, and Rivers has done it in the past, and I think it's a smart move moving forward. Yeah, and I I just want to say, I think all season we've been hearing the Dwight is the best backup that Embiid's ever had lines. Like, if we're being honest with ourselves, like, Al Horford was better. Like, I I know we like to kind of dump on Horford and all, but uh, he was a much better player last season than what we're getting from Dwight this year. Well, I think that's that's such a loaded answer. I wouldn't... It's really off topic. I think it's a better... I think it's a better situation to have Dwight. For and sure. I think it all comes down to context and contracts here oh yeah for sure i'm not i'm, I'm definitely would not <laughs> prefer to have horford on the team right now that 100 agree with that what's the next game on our ballot here chris i think it's a pretty important one isn't it yeah it's the laker game uh Embiid was notably back for that game the sixers won 107 to 106 maybe not the smoothest landing philly was in control for pretty long stretches of that game crumbled late almost blew it but a Tobias Harris game winner with about two seconds left on the clock gave Philly the win that was the Lakers first road loss of the season the Sixers still have not lost the game with Joel Embiid and Seth Curry in the lineup this season and what were your takeaways from that game well first of all you chose very poor wording when you said not a smooth landing considering that you know Embiid fell on his back pretty hard in that game that's so shame true. on you, Chris. I, but no, I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. No, I mean, it's nice to see Tobias Harris hit a game winner, but let's put it in context. He did it over Alex Caruso, who's like 6'3", 6'4". It would have been a shame if he didn't make it. But that being said, it's a nice it's a nice tip of the hat for Tobias. I need to see it more consistently before I feel a little bit better about it. Ben Simmons was aggressive in this game to start off the game. I think what he... Like attempted eight shots in the first quarter. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but somewhere around that that amount. He was a very aggressive. He had a triple-double. I think it was his third or fourth of the season in that game. The bench played well. I liked what I saw from Milton in that game, though Milton overall just has been pretty quiet. Um, no, I think it was a complete game, and it showed the Sixers had to have a legit shot. Now, does that mean I think they're the favorites? No. But they have a puncher's shot, I think, at this point, which, you know, obviously it would be nicer if they had more than a puncher's shot, but I think they have a puncher's shot uh, to make a pretty deep run in the playoffs. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think what's maybe most notable is that this wasn't a particularly strong Embiid performance. Um, like you said, Harris and Simmons both stepped up among many. Uh, Embiid still had 28, still had some big shots. It wasn't a bad game by any means, mm. but in comparison to his recent play, it really wasn't Joe's best night. He had some rough turnovers in the post, and the Sixers still managed to beat a really good team. Um, it's somewhat notable that the Lakers went on to lose pretty badly to Detroit in the next game, so maybe the Lakers are just in a bit of a slump right now. But obviously a big win. It's always fun to, to see Philly beat a, a team like L.A. I think a lot of fans had a really fun night that night, and it's it, it, Obviously, the momentum carried forward into the next game, which we're going to talk about, which is Minnesota. That was a 118-94 win for Philadelphia. Embiid had 37 points in three quarters, sat the entire fourth quarter. Another MVP-type performance from him. Uh, What were your main takeaways from that game? Joel Embiid should be one of, if not the favorite for the MVP right now. I mean... You don't hear big men taking over games like that in today's NBA, especially for just like one quarter. He's, you know, it's usually a slow progression throughout a whole game. But, you know, Joel Embiid's making a very strong case for MVP uh, along with Nikola Jokic. And they're the two best big men in the league and arguably the top two runners for the MVP. Outside of that, I think this was Seth Curry's first game, like having a good shooting night. Uh, this past week, out. Uh, let's see here. What else can I take away? I mean, Minnesota's just in a really bad place without Carl Anthony Towns. They're yeah. in a very. They don't have much center depth. Uh, Ed Davis is a shell of himself, and they didn't have his last name is Reed. I can't read. Is Nas Reed. Nas Reed. Yes, so they didn't have Nas Reed. They had uh, Jared Vanderbilt, which is who's really more of a power forward. Mm-hmm. playing uh, backup center. And the, I feel bad for the Timberwolves, honestly, because they've never really had a, uh, a fighting chance in this game. Their young players need so much development. D'Angelo Russell didn't look good. Um, the roster doesn't make doesn't fit well if you don't have Carl Anthony Towns because they just have a lot of perimeter players. No real backup center. And... It's more of an indictment on the Timberwolves than I think is a positive for the Sixers. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota's one of, if not the worst teams in the league right now. Even with Cat, they just aren't very good. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. a pretty sad state of affairs there. Uh, Hope hope Cat is feeling better, gets well soon. I I think he's nearing a return, which is good to hear. But, Mm. yeah, the Wolves just aren't very good. Uh, They didn't have close to the personnel necessary to shut down someone like Joel Embiid. Like you said, Jared Vanderbilt, Ed Davis, who fouled out. Just really no one there who had any prayer at, at keeping Embiid away from points or away from the free throw line. So... We'll move now into tonight's game. We're recording oh, can I, can I say one thing about the Timberwolves before before we move on? Go for it. They have, their pick is only top three protected that they sent to the Golden State Warriors this past uh, last year for the D'Angelo Russell trade. They have a shot of losing that pick and just not having any first-round pick. This That would be terrible for them. But enough about them. Yeah, as you I mean, were saying, credit, credit to Golden State for somehow continuing to stockpile assets. Uh, with right, Steph and them on Could the. Could you roster. imagine if they get another like top five 
first uh, lottery pick in this draft coming up. This draft is supposed to be so top end heavy. It, it it's it's pretty remarkable, and we're gonna talk about tonight's game again. The Pacers, Philadelphia for the first three quarters were not not very fun to watch. I was mm-hmm. a little bit. I was ashamedly pretty close to like kind of just turning away from the game and maybe reading a book, but then the Sixers switched to zone and the famous Dwight Simmons Fibel trio closed the game and went on like a twenty-one to two run <laughs> as as we all drew it up. So this was the Sixers' first one without Embiid. Harris had twenty-five, I believe, or twenty-seven 27. points. Yeah, 21-7-7, four steals for Ben, four steals for Thibel, double-double for Dwight. Just a really remarkable closing stretch for those guys. What were your takeaways from this game? Well, first off, the Forkhorn Korkmaz closed the game out, and like there wasn't a defensive liability there. Good on Korkmaz. Mm-hmm. Um, 17 points, uh, three of five shooting from deep. Ben Simmons was aggressive the, pretty much the whole entire game, I would say, especially in the early goings. You know, 21 points, 9 of 12 of shooting from the floor, six, 6 free throw attempts, which is on the high end for Ben. That's good. Uh, Dwight Howard coming off the bench, like we said, with the Pistons game, this is what Dwight needs to do. He's coming off the bench. He's dominating. He's not a starter anymore. Tony Bradley was a solid starter. Granted, he was a minus 16. But overall, like it, you can live with that if Dwight's being this dominant coming off the bench, and that's what you want. So you got that. Matisse Thibault, and we'll talk about him later, is an ace defensively. Probably one of the top 10 de- wing defenders already, but, you know, or at least in the conversation for it. And we'll talk about that more later. But that, that's that's my main takeaways. And just the fact that we went to zone, we had we never did that under Brown, and it worked. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if we see it more moving forward. Yeah, I mean, credit to Thibel who made his living in the zone in college. I mean, that's where he's at home. So that's I'm sure true. That was a nice, a fun time for him. And I mean, as all the listeners of this show know, I have been unwavering in my support of Thibel from the very beginning. I am his number one fan, so this was just a great night for me. I have never no, you are not his number one fan. Uriah is his number one fan. I, I, I have always been held him up as a pillar of the Sixers championship pursuit, as we all know. So good, good uh, on as you. we all know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, my other, my other favorite player, Ben Simmons, who just had one of his best games of the year. Easily his best game without Joel. Uh, mm-hmm. Defensively, he was as good, if not better, than Thibel. I mean, Ben has been absurd on the defensive end this past week. That's something we didn't really mention with the other three games, but he's been great all week on defense. He's going to be on the all-defensive team again. He should maybe be in defensive player of the year conversation. I know we've really lambasted his offense a lot this season, but the defense is, is right where it was at, towards the end of last season. Okay. If you do end up trading him, which I know a lot of people are still in favor of, we do have to acknowledge that the Sixers would really be losing out on maybe one of the most impactful perimeter defenders on the planet. So mm-hmm. credit to Ben for putting together the, the night he had. I believe I tweeted before the game or early on in the game something about Ben 
not being aggressive enough. So naturally, he had one of his most aggressive games of the season. I think this was his season high scoring mark at twenty one. Yes, it, it is. Yeah, twenty one is for the season. Yes, I also tweeted. This is the about, first time he hit twenty. I think period this year. Yeah, and then I tweeted about Furkan having a not so triumphant return from injury. So naturally, he carried the baton down the stretch and hit some big shots. So mm-hmm. good day for me behind the uh, behind the. Twitter keys. Also, before the game, tweeted congrats on the win to the our Pacers friends over at eight points nine seconds. So I jinxed it in our favor. You can all thank me. Uh, I know I know they aren't very happy with me over in Indiana, but uh, I will say this, Chris: both Matisse and Ben not only had four steals each, but two blocks each. Mm. That that is an insane, and they both only had two fouls. Insane, absolutely insane. For sure. And just Chris, to get the big just... takeaway here is that I am solely responsible for Philly's win. It's all because oh, of me. Oh, praise the mighty Chris and his Twitter I abilities. It in Philly's favor. You're welcome. They have a two and a oh, half game lead over the Nets now for first place. And Didn't the Nets because... just lose to the Wizards? They did. What oh, my night. gosh. What a night in the NBA. Toronto beat Orlando. Um... The Minnesota Timberwolves are beating the Cavaliers right now, which is really surprising because the Cavs have been good. Yeah, no, overall, just what a crazy night in the NBA. I can't believe Beal and Westbrook outscored the Nets. Well, hold up. They they didn't have Harden, did they? they no, I don't think they no, did. Harden was out. That, that, that's why. That's what happened. But again, so Joe Harris Nets had 30 points. Has been, has been giving up some points. Uh, well, the, you know, the, it's because they haven't started playing Norvell Pell yet. They need to start playing Norvell Pell, and then they they won't That's be giving up as many Norvell points. Will, will save them. That's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think our our next topic is yours, Lucas. So take us away. Okay, so we're going to talk about All Star voting. So Chris, let's just get straight to the point. How many All Stars should the Sixers actually have this year? I've put a lot of thought on into this over the past few days. I wrote an article about it. Uh, apologies to Ben Simmons, but I, I think I've settled on two, and uh, we'll get in maybe more to the specific players, but it should probably be Embiid and Harris. Um, I think Tobias has earned it. He's been remarkably efficient. He's really bought into a role that he didn't necessarily buy into last season, and then Embiid should probably be the captain for the conference, so I, I, I think the answer is two. Captains are only just, you know, decided on popularity votes. So, so it's probably either going to be Embiid or Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. My guess. That's fair. I guess. Kate. Um, yeah, but that that being said, I think so. Ben Simmons is just going to get it because he's the best, one of the best defensive players in the league, and usually the NBA makes sure they award that player with an All Star spot. And he's a two-time All-Star already. There's no reason not to give him that. He's going to get it. Now, Tobias Harris, now he's he's the one that, you know, he's the tipping point. Now, I wrote in the in the past three reasons so why. you think Tobias, a lot? I think he is because you look at the defense. I mean, the offensive numbers are slightly down, but you just yeah, said it yourself. He's in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. He's the most – and he's still one of the best passers in the conference. And he's a solid rebounder. I mean, it's hard to argue against that, Chris. I mean, yeah, and his scoring numbers are starting to take an uptick. The argument against it here is that there are only 12 spots for the conference. 
The Sixers. No, no, no. I think it's a pretty loaded yeah, right. crowd in the East this season. I'm just going to read off some names here. I was typing out the locks for who I thought was locked in uh, for my article, and I ended up with like 11 names, 11 out of 12 that feel like they should kind of be just like cemented in at this point. And it was Joel Embiid, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Harden, Sabonis, Brogdon, and Young. That's 11. All those guys should probably be in over Ben, in my opinion. Then you have Beal, who, although he's on a losing team, is the number one scorer in the NBA right now. You have guys like even Clint Capella, Miles Turner, Colin Sexton, who's averaging 25 a game for a 500 above Sex, 500. Sex, Sexton has a legit argument, to be honest. Yeah. So it's tough even for Harris. Like, I, I, I say Tobias should be number two. I think the Sixers are in a place where if they keep this up, they would deserve two all-stars. But even, like, Jeremy Grant is putting up big numbers in Detroit. Like, there's a pretty- Jeremy Grant's not going to get it. Yeah. I, I would I would agree he's probably not. But, like, it's a pretty loaded group of players in the East this season. It's going to be really tough, I think, for Ben to sneak in. I do think there's well, a chance that Ben would get in over Tobias just because of reputation. Uh-huh. But in my opinion, Harris has been the better player this season. Um, and that's no disrespect to Ben, who is the better player in general. And as you said, is one of the best defenders in the league. But if I had to pick two from this roster, it would be Embiid and Harris. That is such a hard call, man. And I I will make the argument that the Sixers deserve three because they are the best team in the East. And darn it, you know they deserve it. That's that's my that's my eo, uh, illogical argument for it. They're the best team in the East. But no, I mean I did a similar count, and that was before the Harden trade. But even with the Harden trade, you got to look at it's not just you know worthy players as players. In positions because you get yeah. like, what is it like six front court play? No, 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 no. You got back uh, back court. You got two starters, and then you have three reserves. I think no, no, no. Two reserves, two starters, and then it's three front court players starting in reserve, and then you have two randoms. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, I had it that Tobias would make it in on one of those random ones. And we're about to talk on this for a second, Chris. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump to it. Tobias Harris has a legit shot of making the 50-40-90 club. I already wrote about it like the beginning of this past week before the uh, Pistons game when he was actually in that category. Now he's he's out due to his Actually, surprisingly enough, his free throw percentage is back down to 81. But he has a chance to get there. And that would put him in elite conversations with like some of the greatest shooters of all time. Larry Bird, Stephen Curry, Elena Deladon of the WNBA. Shout out to her. Um, Malcolm Brogdon, surprisingly. Mark Price. I know I'm missing some people here, but that those are just the people. I, there's like eight people total, and that's like the people I can name off the top of my head. So yeah. uh, Tobias has a legit argument. I think the Sixers deserve three. That's that's the way I see it. They're the best team in the East. The Nets might have a better th- big three, but they don't have a better team. And the well, NBA usually avo- uh, uh, awards teams that have the best record. 
And yeah. to be honest, we could see a situation like with in 2015 when the Hawks got four because two were injuries, uh, you know, injury replacements. It could very well be that case if yeah. they do have an all-star game. Now, now it's up for debate right now whether or not that's going to happen. But if they do, and then some players miss because of injury, then yes, the Sixers will have three all-stars for sure. But even if not, I still think there's an outside chance that it could happen. That's fair. I, I really do think, though, that Ben is probably going to be the odd man out. Um, I know he probably has more cachet to his name than Harris, but he there's offensively, it hasn't been great this season. With all the Harden rumors, I think a lot of people were really harping on that. So, I don't know. Narratively, I, I, it, I struggled to see Ben making it this season, but it's definitely possible. I listed Brogdon as a lock. Frankly, he's probably not going to get it, even if he does deserve it. Beal, I don't know. It's between him and Sabonis. They might actually cancel each other out. Yeah. Like, I don't know if the Pacers will actually get two, even if they deserve two. Um, they might only get one. Yeah. I, that's what I'm thinking. I think they'll get one, not two. Which is possible. Trey Young and Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, a lot of those, Colin Sexton, like the high-scoring guards on losing or 500 teams. They're going to cancel each other out at some point. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some wiggle room there, but but we'll we'll see how it goes. Well, Ben only needs to see the Sixers. The tricky part is, is with the front court because it depends. I guess, Chris, where would you rate Ben Simmons among guards, not just point guards, but guards in the Eastern Conference? You got you got let's think of the guys ahead of him. You got Kyrie Irving, James Harden. OK. You have, I mean, yeah. I mean, I Jalen Brown, that. Kyrie, Jalen Brown, yes, Brogdon, Young, Beal. You would put Young in front of Ben. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging like twenty-seven and ten, and the Hawks aren't but, bad. Uh, defensively, though, man. Ah, uh, no, I agree. He's he's not perfect, but like the argument for Ben is like offensively, though, man. You know, it they they kind of cancel each other out almost. So, yeah, it's tough. The, it, it depends do, on what you value you, in a player, but like yeah, the numbers I guess it pop de- off the screen more for Trey, and that's normally what all stars are are based off of is like counting stats, which maybe shouldn't yeah. be the case. But Trey has the advantage there. So, do you think that there's let's just say for sake of argument, because you got two two starters, two backups, and two free spots, do you think that there are six guards in the East that are more worthy of an all-star spot than Ben. Uh, I mean, I think I named six, right? Irving, Harden, Brown, Brogdon, Young, Beal. I mean, th- that's six I would pick over over Ben. Okay. Personally. <laughs> but, I guess it just depends. For me, I don't know. If, what are the Hawks? Hang on. What's the Hawks record right now? I need to see records before I make a final call on that one. But you get my point, though. It's like, mm-hmm. it's because I don't know. You might not get Brogdon in because the Pacers might only get one. Yeah, and the Hawks are in, the Hawks are ten and nine right now. Ten and one game over five hundred, and they are sixth in the East. Mm-hmm. You know who could get back into the All Star game though if they keep on if they're in the playoff hunt? Gordon Hayward, he could get back in there. They're the eighth seed right now. The the Charlotte Hornets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hayward's been really good this year. 
Hayward's been great. Colin Sexton. Oh, the Knicks are out of the playoffs again. That's, well, not too surprising. The Raptors are starting to play normal again. Gosh, if the Raptors get back in, then you got Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet that have legit cases because they're both playing mm-hmm. at a pretty high level. Yeah. Yeah, the Raptors are tough. I, I don't think this is a Siakam year. He's had a pretty rough rough stretch. But Oh, yeah. Uh, as I said earlier, like the East is pretty loaded. There are a lot of names who deserve credit and recognition. Uh, if there is a game played and we have injured injury reserve guys uh the list could expand and then maybe we get three but uh, i do think it's going to be two uh frankly mm-hmm. and i would say my bet would be on Embiid and tobias if this current level of protection holds up i think i'm just going to disagree and say it's going to be joel and ben just because ben has that cachet that being said chris do you think harris has the legit shot to make the 50 40 90 club and we yeah, talked about it a little i here. i i wouldn't like put money on it 90% from the free throw line is pretty tough to sustain but he was a pretty much a 50-40 guy in LA under Doc Rivers and I don't think all of his success this season is because of Doc I think a lot of it is he was just pretty determined to become a better player after his struggles last season and he put in the work but he's well over 50 and well over 40 from deep right now. So he, he's got some wiggle room. He's got room for regression. And so it, it's yeah. possible. I wouldn't bet on it. It's a really tough, tough group to crack. That's a pretty prestigious and exclusive group of players who have, who have accomplished that. But mm-hmm. uh, he, he, again, deserves immense credit for how efficient he's been this year. Yeah, his uh, best... The best time that he's ever shot three throws was 91, and that was for about 27 games with the Pistons in 2015-16 after he was traded to them from Orlando. So it seems unlikely, but um, he's a career 82% free throw shooter. He's about 81 right now, so Mm -hmm. more than likely he probably won't, which is a shame, but it's always a possibility, and if he does – that's a great little, you know, tip in his hat for his career. Uh, honestly, I think that would be more important than getting an all-star, you know, nod at this point. But who knows what will happen. But, Chris, it's time to talk about rumors. And there's a pretty big one surrounding the Sixers right now. Love rumors. And as you mentioned, there is a pretty big one. And that rumor happens to revolve around a former Sixer um, whose name is J.J. Redick, uh, one of Joel Embiid's favorite teammates i say i think it's fair to say that of of his career someone who had immense chemistry with joe um the pelicans are are in a bad way right now they aren't they aren't looking as good as they maybe hoped they would reddick especially isn't looking uh, his best he's 36 on the last year of his contract making about 13 million a year which is a bit pricey only shooting around 30 percent from three-point range right now but he is on the trade market, according to Shams, um, over at The Athletic. The Pelicans are focusing on the Northeast um, as far as potential trade suitors go. He listed the 76ers, the Celtics, and the Nets, which seems like a pretty sensible group of of potential suitors. Though I will say it would be pretty difficult for Brooklyn to, to get in on that. They don't really have the contracts to add up to $13 million unless they include DeAndre Jordan, which would take away their... Really, their only center, aside from Norvell Pell. So, I wouldn't count on Brooklyn uh, winning that trade pursuit. But I, I do think the Sixers and Celtics have a real shot. 
Lucas, would Redick seriously elevate the second unit, in your opinion, and what do you think it would take to get him back in Philadelphia? Well, to touch on the other two teams real quick before I answer that question, Nets, they don't have any any trade. Like you said, the only way that it could happen is DeAndre Jordan, and the last thing that the Net, the Pelicans need is another center that clogs up the middle of the paint because Stephen Adams does that so well for Zion Williamson already. Um, the Celtics, they would have to give up somebody on the caliber of of Marcus Smart, and I don't see that happening either. So I really don't think the no. Celtics. Uh, the Celtics have have a trade a traded player exception that they can. Oh, that's right. They have the trade exception from Gordon Hayward, don't they? They could add him. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they they could they could add him. You know, tr- send a young player, and they have. They still have some draft picks, you know. So they, 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 they're. I totally forgot the uh, Gordon Hayward trade exception. My bad. So yeah, the Celtics are in, and then the Sixers. Yeah, the Sixers have uh, some nice pieces, but we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, no, I think Reddick would be, and I think it was, I think it was Derek Bodner or Paul Hudrick on Twitter that said it. Uh, Derek Bodner of the Athletic and Paul Hudrick of ninety-seven point three ESPN. Uh, I, it was one of those two, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe you can remind me, Chris. But one of them said it would basically if getting Reddick would allow the Sixers to mirror their starting lineup with Seth Curry and Danny Green with. J.J. Redick and Matisse Thibel. So there's that. Obviously, chemistry with Embiid. Redick had his best uh, stint stretch of his career with Embiid. I would say that Redick's probably Embiid's second favorite uh, teammate of all time behind Jimmy Butler. Um, so there's that. And he's Redick's also familiar with Doc Rivers. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. Reddick's on an expiring contract. I'm pretty sure he would probably not come back for third. He'd probably take less than 13 million to come back to the Sixers. If, you know, assuming that he would want to play another season, I would assume that he would take a much more team friendly approach. And even if he doesn't, they still have Danny green coming off the books too. They could probably get him back for cheaper as well. Uh, They're both older players there's no reason why they couldn't both resign for a veteran minimum or a uh, mid-level exception, you know, something around there. So I think that's a strong possibility. I think it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, we love, we love Quark uh, Mas, but let's face it. If you're looking in a playoff series, they're both defensive liabilities, but JJ has the resume to back up his play and he can hit big shots in a playoff series. You would want Redick over Korkmaz in your rotation in a playoff series. And I I think it's just the Sixers need to try what they can do to get Korkmaz, I mean, not Korkmaz, Redick, within reason. I mean, I wouldn't pay a first-round pick for him, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's you have to draw a line in the sand at some point as far as to what you're willing to give up. But I do think the Sixers have a real chance here. Before the season, Daryl Morey was pretty adamant about the benefits of having a gravity elite shooter next to him. Uh, obviously, we've next to Embiid. We've seen that with Curry. We've seen it with Redick in the past. Like, the more shooting, the better, frankly, with this team. One of the few guys who can really prop up lineups that are mainly constructed with shooters is Embiid. Like, put Curry and Redick on the floor at the same time with Ben, Danny, and Joe, and that's probably going to be a pretty deadly group offensively. So stuff like that can really work. I think Redick 
despite the slow start, despite the fact that he's 36, can can still play productive minutes, at least in the regular season, for a competitive team. I think the Sixers should be willing to bank on his chemistry with Joel. And if they make the trade before Tuesday, I believe they can still use Redick's salary in a trade at the deadline. So any concerns about not having flexibility at the deadline go out the window if they get this done sooner than later, which is a positive. So I I would happily trade Mike Scott, Terrence Ferguson, either Bradley or Poirier in some seconds. Uh, I mean, it's a risk. He might not return. He might not be playable in the postseason. He's old. He's shooting 30%. I understand that. It's, it's not it's, it's not perfect, but we have such a solid track record of Reddick really thriving next to Embiid and Simmons. We know that they like to play with each other. We know Reddick's leadership was pretty big during his time here, and having that back in the locker room with guys like Green and Harris and Dwight couldn't hurt. So I, I do think it's something the Sixers should look into rather aggressively. And I think it's something they will look into rather aggressively. Um, I, I do. I, I agree with I agree with your package there, by the way. But I, I, I bring up one point here because it is kind of important that we kind of both overlooked here to begin with. There was that major falling out with that Lob City team in L.A. And Reddick was a part of that team. Do you think that there would be any issues regarding Doc Rivers and J.J. Reddick if there was a reunion to happen? From well, a like, personal standpoint, not from a play standpoint. I mean, it, it's possible, but on the flip side, you know, Reddick doesn't have a ton of leverage right now. He's not playing very well. He's on an expiring contract. He would be coming off the bench. It, it, it's not like he's really in a place to mess up the locker room or anything. I think his relationship with Embiid would maybe force Rivers to, you know, adjust if there were some issues there, but... Unless it's really bad, unless it's like Buddy Hield, Dave Yeager territory, which we talked about before the season when Buddy Hield mm-hmm. was still a thought that people had, you know, I, I, I wouldn't really worry about it for someone who's going to be coming off the bench, especially just given how, how well he knows Joel. This is the best we've seen Joel play. I think building a roster that is tailored to his skill set with another guy who just really knows how to how to play off of Joel to take advantage of his strengths. I, I really can't see the downside. I think I'm going to, yeah, I I think the positives outweigh the negatives here. Yeah, and Reddick's I mean, not the type to ever really make any problems in the locker room. That's not who he is. So I'm sure that whatever, if there is a beef between him and Doc, that he's the mature type of guy that can him and Doc can work it out. Yeah. And I will throw this one at you. We mentioned the Nets not having salary, but... Uh, I, I wasn't really thinking about Spencer Dinwiddie, who's obviously out for the season, but if you're looking at it from New Orleans' perspective, you might not be wanting to move into the future with Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball. You get Dinwiddie's bird rights. He's probably a much better fit next to someone like Zion and Brandon Ingram uh, long-term. I, I could see Brooklyn maybe throwing Dinwiddie and seeing if that piques their interest. Um, Dinwiddie is obviously a much better player, but mm-hmm. if you're in Brooklyn and you're trying to win the championship, maybe you go for someone who can play this season. But uh, also, Brooklyn needs defenders, and uh, J.J. Reddick's not a defender. so it, it's No, they tough. just signed Iman Shumpert. Uh, but to go back on your point about <laughs> Dinwiddie, it's not a bad idea on the surface, 
And we know Dinwiddie can hit outside shots, but that is not his strength, Chris. He's only a career 34% three-point shooter. Yeah. That is not he, much he better than Bledsoe. That's the same as Bledsoe, actually. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really just... I think fit-wise, someone like Dinwiddie would make more sense than... And especially Lonzo, who just feels a bit like a fish out of water there at this point, which is a bit disappointing because I, th- I think him and Zion... Uh, make a lot of sense on paper, but the way that roster is constructed, it's it's clear they're not terribly confident in Lonzo's future there because they're they're already trade rumors, and if you're going to give him an eighty million dollar contract, you maybe don't you mm-hmm. know feed trade rumors to anyone. So well, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I feel bad for Lonzo because you look at it. Last year, he was pretty good. Like he was playing pretty well. The issue is whenever there's there's two issues going on. It happened both his second year in LA and his the, now his second year with the Pelicans. There's not enough floor spacing, and there's a secondary ball handler taking the ball out of his hands. LeBron did it in LA, rightfully so, but he did it, and you saw regression there. And then now Eric Bledsoe's doing it in the in New Orleans, and they have Stephen Adams and uh, you know Zion Williamson clogging up the paint, destroying any type of resemblance of floor spacing. So that's that's the issue. The Pelicans are, you know, give David Griffin credit for getting you know draft picks here and there and everywhere, but he did not construct this team to win this season in terms of offensively because offensively it's just not going to work with those players. You need to have yeah. spacers around Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, and they don't have that. Mm-hmm. In in his defense, I don't think New Orleans was ever really planning to contend this season, so I understand it from the perspective of you're just kind of punting it down the road until you feel like you're really ready to make a big move. They have plenty of picks to make a big move. When, they they could be like a real destination for Bradley Beal. I would like him on that yeah. team. Exactly. That, so that they, could be a scary the, trio right there. They definitely have the ammo to to make a big change quickly if they want to. But going back to the core question, I do think the Sixers have a really solid chance at getting Redick. I'm sure other contenders outside the Northeast will probably look into it. But his contract's tricky because that's even if it's expiring, 13 million is quite a bit to pay for someone who's shooting 30% from deep. The Sixers mm-hmm. are one of the teams who can kind of match salaries without losing too much. Uh, I'm like Mike Scott probably isn't in the rotation when he returns. Terrence Ferguson's a nothing burger. Same with someone like Vincent Poirier. So I, I think they can afford to do it, and I, I think they should look into it because. I feel bad for Scott because I honestly don't know if he's going to get a job next year when he's a free agent. He's not playing yeah. the way that he's playing right now. Like I'm not trying to say he's he should be out of the league, but he might not be in the league next year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like tough physical guys who can sort of shoot the three ball can maybe get a minimum contract somewhere. So I would I wouldn't be too worried, but uh, I, I don't think he's going to be in Philly much longer. <laughs> uh, I will say this, and I know it's not on our agenda, but it, now, now that we're talking about Mike Scott, there have been rumors that. Irsan Ilyasova is talking to NBA teams, and the Sixers is one of them. Really? Yes. Uh, I believe, let me, I actually have this pulled up because I'm going to do a free agent piece in a little bit here. 
It was done by Philly Sports Network. They were the uh, people that uh, I saw that. Well, outside of here, I think it was the uh, Yahoo Sports. But um, yeah, they suggested the idea of Earsom, but I believe it was Yahoo Sports. Yes, that he is talking to several teams. And yet they are mentioned as a possibility. Well, the, the question is asked, should the Sixers seek a reunion? And it's a Yahoo Sports. It's not like a Yahoo Sports Philly page. It's just a Yahoo Sports one. So it's an interesting concept. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a minimum contract. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think Eli Silva really moves the needle much at this point. Uh, he might take some minutes from like Dwight and someone like Furkan here and there. But if it's a minimum contract, you could definitely d- do worse. I think it wouldn't be a bad. I mean, he had some one of the best scoring stints of his, you know, spells of his career with the Sixers. So I mean, it's it's worth a shot on a minimum. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking, generally speaking, about a stretch four all season. A lot of like Nemanja Bjelica has come up in a lot of conversations. It's yeah, as he's a on the area of need for Philly, so it it makes sense on paper. Yeah, yeah. So I will, I'm going to have that article out well, hopefully tomorrow. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's one of those free agent uh, options that I would say the Sixers should definitely look at. And by the way, give Daryl Morey props because he has been, you know, picking the uh, pot, you know, picking up players from free agency and just plugging them in and they do very well. He did it with uh, Ben McLemore in the past, Gerald Green, the guys whose careers we thought were done, and then they come in and they produce at a high level within the system that the team's playing. So whoever he chooses, which I'm sure once a trade happens or they waive somebody, probably Terrence Ferguson, my guess would be, um, or Poirier. But more, I feel I'm feeling stronger about Ferguson just because I feel like the Sixers like to have a little extra depth behind Embiid. I feel like Earsong could be one of those players. And if you guys want to know the the other two players that I'm going to be writing about, make keep an eye on, out for that article this week. That being said, I think it's time to transition to Uriah's favorite player. And, you know, supposedly yours. <laughs> of course. Anyway, of course. Matisse Thibel. So, Chris, do you think Thibel's becoming one of Doc's favorite bench players? Yes. As he's one of my favorite bench players, he's also becoming one of Doc Rivers' favorite bench players. Um, he's been the first guy off the bench in a couple of games recently, um, even ahead of Shake Milton in certain spots. He's closing games defensively. The Pacers game, a great example of that. Someone who was really leaned on down the stretch because of his defense. He even had that crazy like running hook shot and one in the final couple of minutes, which was just delightful. So, yeah, I mean, Thibault's put together a really solid stretch these past couple of weeks. He's made a lot of people eat their words, myself included. Um, with regard to his play, he's still pretty rough offensively, and it, it's tough with how this team is built to accommodate someone who who's a below 30% shooter from deep. But he's just so good defensively when he's on. And he's been on lately that it, it, it's impossible not to play him. And he, he has a lot of value on that end alone. The Sixers with Joe, Ben, and Thibel on the floor simultaneously, especially with guys like Green, who is also has pretty quick hands and can get into some passing lanes. 
they have some really tantalizing defensive groups because of Thibault, and he deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do for reviving his reputation as quickly as he has, going from someone who was who it felt like was maybe out of the rotation to maybe the most important bench piece of late. So a lot of credit for him, and I look forward to seeing if he can build on his recent momentum. So two things that I want to touch on here. First off, based off of Thibault's impressive you know streak defensively lately it's still even more mind-boggling that the that the rockets turned down the package surrounding Ben and Thibault for the plethora of picks from the nets so that's that's one thing the other thing is this isn't the first time Doc Rivers has had the pleasure of working with a defensive base on the perimeter coming off the bench uh, in some ways Thibault starting to replicate what the grind father himself, Tony Allen, used to do with the Celtics. It's just another fun little uh, evolution of his game because it's not just, you know, quick hands now. He He's not a slim build. He's starting to show his physicality defensively, and I really mm-hmm. am getting impressed by that. Yeah, it, it might be time for me to rescind one of my, my trade propositions from earlier in the season, which involved basically like Mike Scott and Matisse for George Hill. Not I, a great I don't even remember that one, but yes, please resend that. Yeah, I might I might have to uh, uh, eat my words there. But again, offensively, it's still a problem. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far in the praise because he, he it's really rough, and especially in the postseason, it's going to be really difficult to accommodate significant stretches in which he shares the floor with both Joel and, and been because as great as Embiid has been this season, he still can can he still has some trouble with double teams, and you really don't have to defend Matisse at all. Uh, he he's done some okay work as a cutter, but he's pretty much an, a non-shooter at this point. He he's not someone you have to be within ten feet of when he's on the weak side. So that's still a problem. But defensively, he's been so good. Four steals again against Indiana was a centerpiece of that zone coverage in the fourth quarter uh, in that run that shut down the Pacers and helped Philly come back. Doc City had 11 deflections in the fourth quarter alone, which is just absurd. And that's like just off the charts insane. He, his instincts mm-hmm. and his, his effort are just almost unmatched around the league. So he, he deserves a ton of credit. He's just a special defender. And we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Well, I think he is playable in the postseason, and this is the reason why. As presently constructed, the Sixers are not going to win a championship based off their offense. Yes, Joel Embiid's an MVP caliber player. Yes, Tobias Harris is one of the most efficient players in the NBA. But outside of that, like Seth Curry has cooled off since his hot start to begin the year. Maybe that's him still trying to get back into game shape. Maxi's still limited offensively to being inside the three-point arc. Shake Milton, which I feel like we need to talk about what's going on with him next week, but uh, we don't have enough time today. But like he hasn't been all like, especially from shooting from the outside. Like this isn't a team that's going to win a, D, a, a championship based off of offense. It's going to be defensively driven. I think now, especially now that we've seen what Thibel does in a zone. The Sixers are going to play a lot more zone for stretches of the game 
because that's his bread and butter. Like you said, he played it in college, and that what's that's what made him a highly coveted prospect coming into the draft. I mean, the Sixers gave up a lot to get him in that draft. Granted, it was because, you know, somebody didn't keep their mouth shut in the front office, but still, I think he's going to play. I think he is playable. Tony Allen was playable in the playoffs, and the uh, Memphis Grizzlies got pretty far in the postseason a couple times with him as their starting two guard. In a lot of ways, Thibault's a similar player offensively anyway, not defensively because Tony Allen's on a level of his own, but maybe Thibault gets there eventually, but you get my point. Yeah. And I mean, with regards to zone, most teams can, can break a zone better than Indiana did tonight. You know, like you can't really zone up the nets or the Celtics and expect extended success. But I mean, part of Thibault's development this season of late has just been his on ball defense. He's, taking mm-hmm. fewer risks, and when he is taking risks, he's still recovering at that elite speed that he's always had. He's much more disciplined. He's, he's not necessarily fouling less, but he's just making fewer mistakes, and I think that's been a big progression for him. He's still a remarkable defender outside the zone. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, he's definitely playable. He's going to be played in the postseason because of his defense, and his defense has a lot of value in that setting, but on the other hand, like, you're not going to win a championship without a really good offense. And it, it, it's tough to, to really accommodate like 25 minutes of Thibel in a playoff game because he can't. I don't can't think we would off. see him in 25 minutes. I would hope not anyway. But yeah. But like if you're shortening up the bench and it's just shake Matisse and, and Dwight or something along those lines, it, it it's going to be tough to really survive those minutes. But we'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But last thing before we move into the question of the week, do you think Thibault gets his first all-defensive team nod this year? Um, I mean, teams? probably not, just because he's only playing like 19, 20 minutes a night. It, it, it's going to be tough for him based on playing time alone, but he's definitely trending in that direction. If he keeps putting together weeks like this, it's going to be hard for people not to consider him, but... Just based on playing time, I would I would probably say it's it's a long shot. Yeah, I'm gonna say that playing time is gonna hurt him this year. He's in that category of guys that if they had more playing time, they would be def- in the defensive all defensive team, like Michael Carter Williams, uh, Chris uh, Dunn when he's healthy, guys like that. If they get more playing time, then they're definitely gonna get, be an all defensive team player. But right, like you said, right now. He's not, so he he's he, you gotta at least play at least half the game in order to probably be considered in that category, and he's not. So that that's where it is right now. And we're gonna move on now and do our social media question of the week. And I'm just gonna read some responses here first, Lucas. Our question was why is Doc Rivers a better fit for the Sixers than Brett Brown? Going to Twitter, some interesting responses for sure. I'm going to shout out Keith here at the 19th Hole Pub. Quote, Doc is just smarter, to be honest. Much better in-game coach. Puts Embiid and Harris in better situations. Harris is just a different player under Doc. Always has been. I was hoping to see more from Ben under Doc. Hopefully we will soon. Going to uh, MGs. He just did the SpongeBob meme with, like, the rainbow in the hands. But instead Mm -hmm. of imagination, it says accountability. (laughs) 
<laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was pretty. That's that's a pretty that's clever. A clever one. Yeah. To uh, Urbane Sports Report, a pretty frequent commenter on these these questions. Mm-hmm. So shout out to them. Quote, I feel like Brett gets more credit than deserved for developing players. I don't think anyone truly developed under him. I think lesser players got experience and gained confidence and skill sets they already possessed. But I don't feel many players actually developed with Brett. I might have a couple bones to pick with that. but I, Well, just... you know what? I, I don't necessarily totally disagree with that statement either. Yeah, it, it's definitely a fair point. Uh, over to Twitter. Uh Shout out to Dale Goldstein on um, Facebook, wrote me. Shout out to Dale Goldstein. Quote, you know how sometimes you have to date around in order to find the right person for you. Sometimes you need the ones who came before in order to be ready for the one who's coming. I love Brett Brown, and I will never forget what he did for us. But it was time to move on. Brett was fun, and he helped shape us. But now we are ready. I I think there's some pretty interesting comments. I, I agree with them for the most part. Uh, but Lucas, what, what's your response to that that question? Uh, why is Doc a better fit than Brett Brown was? Because I mean, yes, it's accountability, and I think <sighs> Brett's a great guy. I think we both agree on that. He's a great guy. He's a solid NBA coach. He's worthy of an NBA coaching job. That being said, there is definitely a ceiling in the type of team that you would want him to coach. I think you would definitely want him to, you know, maybe he he's one of the coaches that you would have as a rebuilding coach, you know, to, you know, guide a team through, you know, hardships. And yes, he can get them to right before the promised land, kind of like a Mark Jackson type of guy. Like he's not going to be the coach to get you over the top. And part of the reason for that is this, this, the lack of accountability. He didn't give players clear roles. We heard it multiple times last season alone i mean that that when a glenn robinson the third said it was like a pr disaster for the sixers and i think part of it was that when hinky was around Britt brown had too much responsibility but not enough power and then when hinky left he didn't even have that responsibility anymore and i think he just his the he wasn't the loudest voice in that, in the, in the organization, and not even like a prominent voice when all said and done. And Doc Rivers is that guy. He has that charisma. He gives players their roles very early on. There's there's no doubt about it. I mean, and Doc Rivers is what the eleventh most winningest coach of all time. So he has the resume. I mean, there's. In an NBA championship, there's really nothing more I can say to it. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think accountability is, is the easy one, but also the biggest one, the most important one, just getting guys to buy into their roles. I think just it was time for a new voice. Um, as as our, our friend from Facebook said, I uh, it really was just, I think Brett's voice had gotten stale at a point. The Sixers were really kind of plateauing in a way that was was unsustainable. Part of that, again, is personnel. A lot of factors went well beyond Brett were limiting the Sixers' success, especially last season. But mm-hmm. I think it was definitely time for a new voice in the locker room. There aren't many voices stronger than Doc Rivers, uh, both on the court, off the court, on, on all issues, all sorts of issues. I think Doc has been tremendous in that respect. And just 
he has really put guys in a position to succeed. I mean, I don't think it's entirely a coincidence that Harris is playing better basketball. As I said earlier, a lot of it is just credit to Tobias for putting in the work, but also credit oh. to Doc, who has apparently on multiple fronts now gotten the best basketball of Tobias Harris's career out of him. In the same with the side note about Tobias Harris, uh, I just saw on Twitter that Dwight Howard is now calling him Prince Harris. So now we have to refer to uh, Tobias as such, Prince Harris. Nice. I love it. Yes. Sweet. Yes, I love it. Anyway, continue, though. Yeah. And, like, generally speaking, Brett wasn't a bad coach. I think he got a, a much worse, had a much worse reputation there towards the end than he deserved. Doc is by no means a perfect coach. He has made some pretty head-scratching decisions with regards to defensive assignments, the half-court offense still has some trouble late in games. A lot of the same issues that were issues under Brett Brown are still issues right now. Uh, obviously, the Sixers are in first place, and Doc deserves credit for that, but this is not a perfectly built team. The execution down the stretch of that Lakers game, which we were talking so glowingly about earlier, like the execution down the stretch of that game was not good. The Sixers blew a pretty significant lead in the final few minutes because the offense just like ran into a wall. We were running Ben Simmons pick and rolls at the top of the key. It it, it just was not a good look. So Doc has not, has had his fair share of issues this season. I'm not saying Doc is, you know, a, a mastermind coach, but I think his voice and his accountability in the locker room and just the fresh perspective were all necessary and I, I think that's really been probably the biggest area of benefit uh, with regards to changing from him, from Brett to him. Mm-hmm. I will also say that the Sixers during the press conference tonight, Rivers has said that that Dave Yeager wants to at least uh, wants to see more of assistant Dave Yeager wants to practice more with Simmons at center moving forward when they have practices. So that might be an interesting um thing to keep an eye on moving forward but yeah i think you're absolutely right on that chris and i think at this point of the podcast i think it's time for you to play us out bud thanks again everyone for tuning into another episode of the six of sense podcast shout out to our our favorite players here at the pod matisse thibel and ben simmons of, of whom we have never said a foul word of whom we have always been staunch in our support to our listeners of course we appreciate everyone for tuning in every week means the world to us that you would give us the time out of your day, whether you're busy at work or just chilling around the house. I know these are very difficult times still for a lot of people with all that is going on in the world, coronavirus related, especially, you know, sitting down with us and letting us speak Sixers into your ears for an hour is really a privilege. And we are very appreciative of that. And we have some very exciting guests coming up in the near future. So stay tuned. Next week, we'll be back with some fresh topics and some more Sixers talk. A lot of big games on the docket once again. So we'll see y'all then. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.